Ashley Brock reading Diane Palmer's book, Calhoun, Chapter 2. Abby arranged to miss breakfast the next morning. Calhoun's attitude irritated her. He didn't want her himself, but he was so possessive that she couldn't get near another man. His attitude was frustrating at best. He had no idea how she felt, of course. She was careful to hide her feelings for him. A man like Calhoun was rich and moderately handsome. Could have any woman he wanted. He wouldn't want a plain, unsophisticated woman like Abby. She knew that, and it hurt. It made her rebellious, too. She didn't want to spend the rest of her life grieving for a man she could never have. It was far better to look in other directions. But how could she, when Calhoun refused to let her go? She drove several miles from the ranch to the office, to the mammoth feedlot in the small red British sports car she talked Justin into co-signing for when she graduated from the local vocational school. Because of the attention Calhoun and Justin paid to hygiene, there wasn't as much odor as most feedlots generated, which surprised a lot of visiting cattlemen. Abby had once gone with Calhoun to tour some other feedlots and had come out with a new respect for the one back home. The Ballinger Brothers' operation was a little more expensive to run, but there were, there were hardly any cattle deaths here because of disease, and that was a prime consideration. A rancher who con contracted with the feedlot to fatten his cattle for slaughter didn't want to lose the animals to disease. Since Abby was early, the office was dirty. There were three other women who worked here, all married, and they helped keep records on the various herds of feeder, feeder cattle be, being fattened for ranches all over the country. There were contracts to sort and file, records on each lot of cattle to keep an ongoing vaccination and management reports. There was the constant hum of the heavy equipment used to feed the cattle and to remove waste to underground storage to be used later to fertilize pastures where grain was grown. The phones rang constantly and the computers had to be programmed. There was a payroll department as well as a salesman, a staff veterinarian, a number of cowhoos, cowboys who moved cattle in and out and saw to feeding them and maintaining the machinery that kept it all going. Abby hadn't realized until she'd come to work here how big the operation was. The sheer size of it was staggering, even for Texas. Fenced areas filled with steers stretched to the horizon, and the dust was formidable, as well the smell, which was inevitable even when sanitation management practices were employed. The Ballagers didn't own a packing plant. That wasn't legal, just as it wasn't legal for packers to own custom feedlots. But the brothers did own a third of their feeders' cattle, and the other two-thirds were custom-fed. Abby had grown up hearing terms like profit margin, break-even prices, and ration formulation. Now she understood what the words meant. She put her purse under her desk and turned on her computer. There were several new contacts waiting to be filled in for new lots of four-footed customers. The feedlot took in feeder cattle weighing 600 to 700 pounds and fed them up to their slaughter weight of 1,000 to 1,100 pounds. The Bounders had a resident nutritionist and an experienced stockman who handled the twice-daily feeding routine with its highly automated machinery. They had the feeling down to such a fine art that the Bounder... They had the feeding down to such a fine art that the Ballinger operation was included in the type, top 5% of feedlots nationally. And that was a real honor considering all the things that could go wrong, from failing cattle prices to unexpected ex epidemics to drought. Abby was fascinated by the workings of it all. There were thousands of bawling steers and heifers out there. There were always big cattle trucks coming and going, and men yelling and herding and vaccinating and dehorning, and the noise come 
could get deafening despite the soundproof office wall. Visiting cattlemen came to see their investment investments. Those who didn't come were set set monthly progress reports. Daily records were kept on everything. Abby fed the first contract into her electric typewriter trying to decipher this spider scrawl of Cadwell Acker, the feedlot office manager. He was second only to Calhoun in the chain of command because Calhoun's name went as manager. He and Justin owned the feedlot jointly, but Justin held the lion's share of the stock. Justin preferred money management to meeting with clients, so Calhoun did most of the day-to-day -day management on the feedlot. That was one reason Abby loved the job. It meant she got to see a lot of Calhoun. When Calhoun walked in the door and had dashing pale tan suit. Abby hit the wrong key, covering the contract with a flock of X's. She grimaced, backspacing to correct her mistake, then discovered that she couldn't do it. The correction was too little, too late. Irritated, she ripped the paper out of the machine, put a clean sheet in, and started all over again. Having problems this morning, honey. Calhoun asked with his usual cheerful smile, despite the way they parted in anger the night before. He never carried grudges. It was one of his virtues. Just the usual frustrations, boss, she answered with a blight smile. He searched her eyes. They had such a particular light in them lately. He found her more and more disturbing, especially when she wore close-fitted suits like the blue one she had on today, clung lovingly to every line of her tall, slender body. Outlining the thrust of her high breasts, the smooth curve of her hips, took a slow breath trying to hide his growing attraction to her. It was odd how she managed to get under her skin so easily. You look nice, he said unexpectedly. She felt collar blush her cheeks and she smiled. Thank you. He hesitated without knowing why, his dark eyes caressing her face and mouth. I don't like your hair like that, he added quietly. I like it long and loose. She was having a hard time breathing. Her eyes worked up his broad chest to his face and were trapped by a steady gaze. Like electricity, something burst between them, linking them till she had to drag her eyes down, her legs actually trembling. I'd better get back to work, she said unsteadily, filling with paper. We both had. He replied. He turned and walked into his office without knowing how he got there. Once inside, he sat down behind his big oak desk, stared through the open door at Abby until the buzz of the intercar reminded him of the day's business. Things went smoothly for a little while, but it was too much to expect that the serenity would last. Just before lunch, one of the cattlemen who had feedlot steers in the lot came by to check on them and got an eyeful of Abby. You sure are a pretty little thing, the man said, grinning down at the picture she made in her neat blue knit suit and white blouse with her hair in a French twist and a minimum of makeup on her pretty face. He was about Calhoun's age. She flushed. The man wasn't as handsome as Calhoun, but he was pleasant-looking, and he seemed to help, help harmless. Thank you, she said demurely, and smiled at him, just as she smiled at other customers, but he took it as an invitation. He sat down on the corner of her desk, giving her purely masculine trinity with his pale blue eyes. I'm Greg Myers, he introduced himself. I just stopped into my way to Oklahoma City. And I thought I'd take Calhoun to lunch if he's in, but I think I'd rather take you instead. He lowered his voice and reached out unexpectedly, touched Abby's cheek, ignoring her in trouble. You pretty little thing. You look like a tea rose, ripe for the picking. Abby just gaped at him, all reading and imagining hadn't prepared her for this kind of flirtation with an inexperienced man. She was out of her depth and frankly stunned. Come on now. Come on now, Myers jawed season. Crescent cheek, say you will. We'll have a nice long lunch and get to know each other. While Abby was searching for the right words to 
extradite herself from the unwelcome situation. Cowan came out of his office, and he stood directly behind, behind Mr. Myers, looking suddenly murderous. I'm afraid you'll have to settle for me, Cowan said tersely. Abby's my ward, and she doesn't date older men. Oops, Myers stood up, grinning sheepishly. Sorry, old son. I didn't know. No harm done, Cowan said carelessly, but his eyes were dark and cold and dangerous looking. Let's go. Abby, I want the latest progress report on his cattle when we get back. Only only a few months before, Abby might have had some snappy reply to that, or she might have jumped back at Cowan for acting so possessive, but now she just looked at him, feeling helpless and hungry, in a wash, on a wave of longing before he was acting. Longing because he was acting jealous, he seemed to stop breathing too. His dark eyes searched her, his way of her embarrassment, her confusion. He let his gaze fall to her mouth and watched her lips part suddenly, and his body reacted in a way that shocked him. Lunch. Now, Cowan ushered the other cattleman to the door. If you get in the car, I'll just get my hat and be right with you. He told the man with a glued-on smile and a pat on the shoulder. That's right. You go ahead. He turned to Abby, his expression unreadable. I want to talk to you. Cowan took her arm and pulled her up, leading her into his office without a word. He closed the door, and the way he looked at her made her feel threatened. And wildly excited all at the same time. Mr. Myers is waiting, she faltered, disturbed by the darkness of his eyes as they met hers. He moved toward her, and she backed up until his death stopped her. Her eyes averted to his. Maybe he was going to make a declaration? <laughs> his chin lifted then, and he was angry. That glittered in his dark eyes, not possessing this. Listen, he said quickly. Greg Myers has had three wives. He currently has at least one mistress. He's forgotten more than you have. Time to learn. I don't want you to learn that kind of lesson with a professional Romeo. I'm not going to learn it. I'm going to learn it with someone eventually, she said, swallowing hard. Her body felt odd, taunting, tingling all over at once because his... Because his was close enough that she could feel his warmth. Sorry. I know that, he said impatiently, his face hardened. But I just assumed you didn't join a queue. Myers is no serious suitor. He's a playboy with a smooth manner, and he'll have you screaming for help five minutes after you were alone with him. So that was it. More big brother responsibility. He wasn't jealous. He was upset because his protective instincts had been aroused. She stared at the steady rise and fall of his chest in dull acceptance. Stupid me, she thought miserably, wishing for a star again. I wasn't trying to lead him on, she said finally. I just smiled at him like I smiled at everyone, even you. I guess he thought I was sending out smoke signals, but I wasn't. Honestly, his face was like, no harm done. And then he moved. One long, powerful arm slid behind her, bringing his lips... Within an inch of hers, she almost moaned at the minty warmth, the minty warmth of his breath on her mouth. Her gaze dropped to his mouth, curiously tracing every hard line of the thin upper lip and the more chiseled lower one. Her heart throbbed. Her breast seemed to stop altogether, and for one long instant, she felt the full weight of his chest against her soft breast in a contact that was shocking. She looked up at him with wide, stunned eyes. Then he moved back, the hat he'd been reaching for in one hand, his eyes frankly amused at the look on her face, so she never thought of him that way, had she? It irritated him to think she didn't feel the new and very unwelcome attraction he was discovering for her, which is as well that he had a business function tonight and would keep his over-imaginative brain away from Abby. Were you expecting something, he asked coldly. I just wanted my hat. 
He watched a shadow pass across her eyes before she mumbled something and lowered her gaze. He put his stetson on his thick blonde streak on his thick blonde streaked hair and tilted it over one eye. I urge you to work here not to send out signals, intentional or otherwise, to clients. I hate you, she said suddenly, sick of his accusations and his hateful remarks. Sure you do. What else is new? Tapped her chin with a long finger. Get busy. While she was still struggling with her composure, he opened the door and went out without a backward glance. Emily hardly got anything done for the next hour. She couldn't remember a time when she felt so turned around, so confused. She was sure she hated Calhoun, but in an hour he'd be back, smiling, then she'd forgive him. That was what made her so miserable. The knowledge that he could commit murder and she'd still love him. Damn, this hateful attraction. She took a half-hour break and went to the canteen and had a sandwich that she didn't taste. She was barely back at her desk when Mr. Myers returned, with Justin instead of Calhoun. She handed the progress reports to Justin, who herded Mr. Myers into his brother's office, kept him there a scant ten minutes, and then herded him out again. Abby kept her head down and didn't say hello. That was just as well, because Mr. Myers didn't look in her direction. Justin gave Abby a curious look at her. That's unusual, Emar. Cowan called me out of a board meeting to have lunch and talk over that contract with Myers. Then he waltzed off and left me there. What's going on? Abby cleared her Why, Justin, I have no idea, she said, even managing a smile. Justin lifted an eyebrow, shrugged, and went back into Calhoun's office without another word. Abby stared after him, curious herself about Calhoun's behavior. Then it occurred to her that maybe he just didn't like Greg Myers, which led to the unapplicable thought that perhaps they'd fallen off out over a woman. Maybe one of Myers' mistresses. She turned back to her typewriter. She hated even thinking about that side of Calhoun's life. Justin was quiet for the rest of the afternoon, but he had plenty to say when Calhoun came in just before quitting time. The door was half open, and Abby, who was the last of the office group to leave, got an earful while she was straightening up her desk. This has got to stop, Justin was telling his brother. One of the office girls told me that Myers got friendly with Abby just because you... Just before you cleared out. It's gotten to the point that Abby can't even smile to me without having you come down on her head like judgment. She's almost 21. It isn't fair to expect her to live like a recluse. I wasn't counting secondly. I just warned her off him. My God, you know his reputation. Abby's no fool, came to reply. She's a level-headed person. Sure, she's proved that. Calhoun said with bodies arcing, going to a strip show. It was not, Abby called through the open door. It was a Melbourne variety show. My God, she's standing out there listening. Calhoun jerked the door all the way open, glaring at her. Stop, he's dropping. It isn't polite. Stop talking about me behind my back then, she returned, picking up her purse. I wouldn't have gone out with a man like Greg Myers, even to spite you, Calhoun. I know a line when I hear one. Calhoun glared I'm not sure it's a good idea you work in here. Her eyebrows went up. Really? Why? The place is full of men. Calhoun muttered and Justin had to smother her grin. Abby lifted her eyebrows and smiled. Why? So it is, she guessed. Lovely, unshaped men who smell of cattle and cow chips. So romantic, she sighed. Justin had turned away. Cow's dark eyes were glittering. Myers didn't smell of cow chips, he reminded her. She arched her eyebrows at him. How interesting that you noticed, she said in a theoretical whisper. He looked at her if he looked as if he wanted to throw something at her. 
Will you cut that out? He muttered. She sighed. Suit yourself. I was just trying to help. God forbid that I should be seduced by some strange, sweet, swelling man. Go on, Calvin My, my. What a nasty temper we're in, she said demurely. She reached for her purse, glanced back at him. I'll have Maria make you a nice bowl of razor blade soup, just so you can keep your tongue sharp. I won't be home for supper, thank God, Calvin said coldly. I've got a date, he added, for no other reason than the irritator. He didn't like the idea of her knowing how much Myers flirting had upset him. He didn't want her to know that he'd been so violently jealous that he couldn't even trust himself to have lunch with the man and had called Justin to intervene. But Abby didn't know that, and she was sure that it was just Calvin being overprotective as usual. It hurt her to hear about where he was going. Abby felt as if she were being choked to death. If only she were beautiful and blonde. If only she could cope. But she managed to hide her infantiness. That's great, Calhoun. You just enjoy yourself while I sat home alone. I'll never get a date as long as you two... As long as you're two steps behind me. Dream on, Countor. Hell will freeze over before you go out with a man like that. There's a little town called Hell, you know, Abby told him. It does snow there. If I were you, I'd go home, Abby, Justin said I and his brother. It's Friday night. You might find a nice movie to watch. Come to think of it, I just bought a new war movie. You can watch it with me if you want to. She smiled. Justin was really nice. Thanks. I might do that. Since my watchdog doesn't want me out after dark, she added with a glare. Count. I'll be Elizabethan. I'll be Elizabeth the First. I bet Elizabeth the First didn't have a guardian just like you. Justin caught Cowan in the nick of time, and Abby took off running. Her heart in her throat. It was odd how Cowan, usually so easy going, had turned explosive lately. She did go to him, of course, but she didn't help it. She couldn't help it. Fighting him was the only way she could stay sane and hide her feelings for him. If she ever started batting her eyelashes and sighing over him, he'd probably shoot her off the place like a bullet. She started her car and drove home, all the fury dying into misery as she left the feedlot behind. What good was pretending? Her heart was breaking because Calhoun was going out with one of his women, and she didn't qualify, qualify for that title. She never would. She'd grow, she'd grow old with Calhoun putting her on the head, patting her on the head. Once or twice, she almost thought he felt something for her for her then he began to notice her but he he had he certainly wouldn't be running all over the place with other women and he wouldn't ignore abby abby unless she started a fight or got into trouble she was his responsibility of course his headache to him she was anything but a warm attractive woman whom he might love eventually that she'd never be by the time she got to the house, she felt sick all over, but her plan was beginning to form in her mind. If Calhoun thought she was giving in that easily, he was in for a shock. She could have a good time, too, even if she didn't have any. By golly, she'd go out and find herself one. End of chapter 2